Merry Christmas. It's good to have you here this morning. If you are a guest, a uh, special welcome to you. We're glad that you're worshiping Christ with us today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ryan. I'm one of our pastors here. And uh, it's just been a privilege going through this series of Fear Not through this Christmas uh, season. And we're going to continue that in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 today. That's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 1. And if you've missed the last couple weeks, I, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to those. Because what we've been doing over the last couple weeks and next week is we've been looking at how God has spoken to people and told them not to fear. Each one of them in the Christmas story, the first week with Zechariah and his wife feeling like God hasn't heard their prayers. And God speaks to them and says, fear not, I've heard your prayers. And then last week we looked at the shepherds, kind of forgotten outcast people in society. And God tells them not to fear for there's good news of great joy for all people, for everyone. And today we're going to look at Joseph, a man who hears the beginning of the Christmas story and thinks there's no way that this can happen. There's no way forward. There's no good decision at this fork in the road for him. And God speaks to an angel in this moment to him to telling him not to fear. And then next week we'll look at Mary, some of her deep fears and even a sense of hopelessness that she could have felt in that moment. And God speaks to her and says, fear not. So if you missed the last couple weeks, you can hop on our website or where you can find podcasts and you can download it and listen to those. But today, be in Matthew chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18 and we'll read through the end of this chapter. The word of the Lord says this. So the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man... And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, what, or for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the word that the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you do not ignore our fears, nor do you shame us for our fears. Instead, you offer us hope and peace in the midst of the things that we don't know. So at Christmas time, we're reminded how you have not left us alone, but you came to rescue and to redeem us by giving us a relationship with you. And I pray for those of us in the room and those that are watching online that feel like they're living in the, in the impossible situation, that what God has called them to do, they see no way forward, they see no way to be able to be obedient to what you're calling them to do. I pray for them now. And I ask that you would show them the way forward for themselves. God, give us the faith that we need to trust and obey you. And now let me invite you to pray to the Lord today. Bring your fears to him and pray them to him now. Amen.
Now pray for me that over this little bit of time that we have together walking through God's word that I would uh, serve you well by showing you the goodness and the greatness of God. Pray for me. that you would comfort us today in our fears, Lord, you would convict us in our sin, God, that you would change us in our lives, through your word and through your spirit, amen. So growing up, I had a tradition that my mom and I would always do together, we would always put together the nativity scene, and as we would put it together and put everything in its right place, we'd kind of talk about it, it was just a good memory that we always had, and it became such a tradition for us, we decided, like, we want to get a very, like, high-end nativity scene, right? So we got olive wood from Israel that had been carved into the nativity scene. So we would set it up each year. It was just a great memory, a great tradition that I wanted to pass on to my kids. And so now every time uh, we gather close to Christmas, my kids and I, we get together and we set up the nativity scene, uh, the olive wood nativity scene that we had before, and just remember those great moments. Well, a couple years ago, as we set it up, um, my son is, is putting the pieces in place, and then we get it all set, and I'm like, that looks great. And I kind of go into the other room, and I do a couple things to get other decorations up. And as I come back, uh, I see that my son has made an addition to the nativity scene. And you might be able to see it on the screen. It's a little hard to see, but uh, if you can't see it, uh, there's a Ninja Turtle that is added to the nativity scene, right, like right in the middle of it. And uh, it's interesting because you look at that, that, that nativity scene, and whether you can see it well or not, hopefully we're going to get new projectors soon. But uh, you look at the nativity scene, and, and you can still see here's like the shepherds over here in the corner, and here's some sheep. There's the, the animals, and, and you can even see Mary if you look closely, and a little bit of the manger. But, but Joseph is just kind of, I mean, he is hidden. Like he's just in the background. That, that turtle like kind of blocks him completely out of the picture. And I tell you that this morning because as we look at Joseph, whether it's a, a turtle that's been added to the scene or whether it's just the busyness of life or whether it's the lack of a lot of information about Joseph in the scripture, he tends to play the background. He tends to be forgotten when it comes to the Christmas story. But here in Matthew, as it starts here talking about the Christmas story, it talks about Joseph and highlights some incredibly important things about Joseph. And before we kind of dive in and unpack all the text today, I want us to, to look at a couple of descriptions that it gives us about Joseph. And the reason why is because when we look and we see and understand a little bit of who Joseph is, it's going to help us understand the fears that could have been in his heart and in his mind as it came to this first Christmas. And so one of the descriptions we see of Joseph in, in verse 19 is that he is a just man. He's a just man. That means he, he did what was right. This is the kind of person that had a great reputation, one that ultimately he didn't want to be tarnished, but he has a great reputation, one that if you needed carpentry work done, you could go to Joseph and know that he wasn't going to cheat you or try to hoodwink you. And this is the kind of man that, that Mary's grandma would have loved that Mary was betrothed to because you're like, man, that's a good person. That's the person that you want to marry, right? And this is who he is. He's a just person. He does what is right and just. Now what's interesting is here he sits as a just good man, but 
there's a messy situation, at least in his eyes, that's come to find him. It says in verse 18 that the, the woman he's betrothed to is found to be with child. And we don't know exactly how Joseph found out about this because at the first few verses here, the angel hasn't come to talk to him yet. So he doesn't know that what Mary has has been given, this life has been placed in her from the Holy Spirit. And so he found out some form or fashion, whether it was Mary telling him or he just noticed changes about Mary. But it sums up all those awkward conversations that probably happened in verse 18 as just she was found to be with child. And here he sits saying, I've got this reputation of being a just man, of doing the right thing. And what am I going to do with this moment? And with his justice in one hand, on the other hand, he has compassion. Verse 19 says, and unwilling to put her to shame. And this is the compassion of Joseph in this moment. Because by the law, all rights, he could have brought her before the court, showed her off to the whole town and said, this is the woman who cheated on me. This is the woman who's committed adultery. He could have shamed her publicly in that moment, and he would have been just to do so according to the law. But he doesn't do that. He has compassion, not wanting to shame her. So he thinks, how do I wed these two things together? My justice and my compassion. And it tells us as he thinks about those two things, in verse 20, it says he's considering them. He's considering them. Now, this is important. Like I said, the Bible doesn't say a lot about Joseph. But what it says here in verse 20 where he says he's considering these things is it shows us that he is a thoughtful man. He's a thoughtful man. He's not impulsive. He's not rushing to make a decision. Yet he is he's considering things. And he's thinking, well, if I divorce her, it clears my name. It tells the world that this is not my child. But if I marry her, then it appears as if I'm saying this is my child and we've messed up. And it ruins my reputation. And what's fascinating is this young man who's seemingly having his world changed and shook to the core demonstrates remarkable grace and humility. As he takes time to assess the situation with thoughtfulness. So we know that Joseph is a just man, that he's a compassionate man, that he's a thoughtful man. But in verse 20, the angel is going to tell us something about Joseph that's extremely important. It calls him the son of David. The son of David. Why does that matter? Well, those of you that have read your Bibles and that know your Bibles, if you think back in the Old Testament, you look back, there was a king named David. And this king named David, God promised him made a promise, made a covenant with him that there is going to be a child, a, a son that's going to reign on your throne forever. And this son is going to, to bring peace and salvation and security to my people. And so it's telling us right here, his family tree, his family tree is the one of David, the one in whom this promise has been made. This is where he is when he sits in this moment. This is who Joseph is. Now, what this is going to do is this is going to show us, knowing those few things, that he's a just man, that he's compassionate, that he's thoughtful, that he's from the line of David, why the angel, when he comes to him, says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. 
take marriage away. And what we're going to see is that we should not fear. We don't need to fear because Jesus redeems our fears. Redeems our fears. We're taking a few educated guesses on what the, the heart of fear that, that Joseph had in this moment was. But they're, they're good guesses to take. You see, we look back at this Christmas story with 2,000 2, years of, of understanding and hearing it over and over again that we don't think the shock and awe is there. But for Joseph, the shock and awe would have been there. There would have been a deep fear as he considers all of these things. Because what Joseph is doing here is he's thinking, my goodness, if I take Mary as my wife, it's going to ruin a lot of things in my life. In my life. It's going to ruin me. You see, Joseph might have feared to take Mary as his wife because he's thinking, she's already committed adultery on me, and we're not even co- entered into the official bonds of the covenant of marriage yet. And if she was unfaithful at this point, then she's going to be unfaithful later to me, right? So there's no way I want to enter into this covenant relationship with her if she's going to be unfaithful to me. That's a fear he would have had in his heart, right? Or he could have been having the fear of losing his good reputation. He's known as a just man in this in this passage. People would have known him as that. And he's thinking, if I marry her, then I'm going to lose this reputation. Or he might be thinking, if I choose to marry her, I'm going to end up doing this alone. Because there's a good chance my mom and my dad probably could forsake me for this. You made a mistake, Joseph. Or you're being gullible in this moment. So maybe he's afraid of how my parents will leave me. Or I'll actually be cut out of the will because of this. Or think about this. He might have thought about what his friends were going to say. There was a deep fear in his heart, right? He, he would have had friends that were just like him. That would have been just people that kept the law and were good people. And he's thinking, man, if I take Mary as my wife, people, these good friends of mine, are probably going to abandon me. They are. There's all these fears that are going on in his heart and his mind. He might have had the fear of, man, we're going to ruin the whole family reputation. I come from the the line of David. Our, Our family tree is supposed to have this branch of hope and this coming Messiah. And then here I sit looking at our family tree of what we have according to Scripture. And it's got ornaments of shame and foolishness and sinfulness all over that family tree. And Joseph is sitting here thinking, do I want to add one more ornament of shame on this tree? He could have thought of all these things. I'm going to lose my friends, my my family, my reputation. But God comes. In his grace and his mercy, Jesus redeems some of the deepest fears that Joseph could have had. Think about this. We don't know, but if he did have the fear of, I'm going to lose my reputation if I take Mary to be my wife. If that was his fear that the angel was speaking to in his mind, think about what God did and how he redeemed that fear. Now for all of eternity, for all of eternity, Joseph's reputation was seared in the pages of Scripture as Jesus is his husband. The very thing he was afraid to lose, God redeemed and put a deep, deep abundation in him. You see, he might have feared to lose it, but as he obeyed God, 
God gave him hope and peace and redemption in the midst of his fear. If he had the fear of, I'm going to be cut out of my, my father's will, now he has the privilege of fulfilling the heavenly father's will in heaven. His obedience allowed him to be a part of God's redemption plan that started at the foundation of the earth. If his fear was, I'm going to lose all the, the people I'm associated with, my, my family and my friends, I'm going to lose all those associations, Christ redeems that for now he would always be associated with Jesus. If you read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, people come up to Jesus and they're like, aren't you the son of the carpenter? Like, aren't you Joseph's son? He might have lost some friends, he might have lost some relationships with the family, but he gained a far deeper and richer relationship than he had had. He was associated with Jesus forever. Listen to me this morning. Some of us, God has called us to a new job. We know it, God's been stirring in our hearts to be obedient to him. And we have not taken that step of faith forward because we're afraid of losing it. We're afraid of losing it. And I believe when we read this passage, we see that some of the things that we're afraid of losing, God has a better vision and a broader goal than we could ever imagine. He desires for to take our small goals and to make them massive. He wants to do something in our lives that we're afraid to lose right now. And God's like, you don't understand what I have in store for you. You don't know what the better thing is that I have for you that I want to give you. And he lays that before us this morning. Would you obey me? And here's the reality. Even though these blessings come from God as we're obedient to him, it doesn't mean that the fears aren't going to be there. It doesn't mean that hard times aren't going to be there. I mean, even Joseph, as he lived out this call of being obedient to God, to father uh, Jesus and to care for Mary, he still had hardship. We'll talk about it a little more at the Christmas Eve service this coming up week. But, but think about it. He's obeying God. He's following God. And there's not even a place for this baby to be born, right? He's going to Bethlehem and they can't find a place. And he's got you got to think he's sitting in that room like, God, really? You put all of these things in place and yet you're making it difficult for us to even find an inn for us to stay in. You see, there's still hardship there for Joseph. But the blessing is far greater. Far greater for him. And it's far greater for us if we would be obedient to him. Would we be so bold as to take those steps of faith as Joseph did? To not be ruled by our fear, but to take steps forward in faith. For me, as I, I read this passage and I start to see who Joseph is, I start to understand why God would have chose Joseph to be the father of Christ. Did you ever think about that? We didn't get to choose who our father was. But Christ did. And he chose Joseph. Why? I believe it's because Joseph reflects our Heavenly Father. There are a few descriptions that are as good as describing our Heavenly Father as being just and compassionate. There are a few descriptions. You see, we turn the pages of Scripture and we see God's justice on sin. That God just can't be okay with a broken world. He can't be okay with the sin in your life and my life. Because he's seen it's decaying our world. And it's decaying our hearts. It's decaying our souls. And so in justice, he's like, I cannot let that sin remain. He's going to remove that. 
But then God the Father in his compassion says, I'm going to send my son to come to redeem sinners, to save us and to rescue us. This is why he chose Joseph. Because it's a reflection of what our heavenly father does. So God the Father sent Jesus in order to rescue us. So may we not fear because Jesus offers rescue when we fear. He offers rescue when we fear. If you look in verse 21 of this passage, it's a powerful verse. Powerful verse. I encourage you to maybe even memorize it in scriptures. But it says, she will bear a son. This is the angel speaking to Mary. And you shall call his name That name Jesus means God saves. He saves. And it tells us here what he saves us from. Look at the last part of verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. Now what I want us to do, just pause for a second. Maybe take your finger and, and, and cover up the last two words. In verse 21. What would you want that to say? In all honesty, in your heart and in your mind, what would you, how would you want verse 21 to finish? If you were writing this and you were pinning this and you're like, Mary's going to have a son, you should call his name Jesus because he will save us from, what would you put in there? Would you like for it to say Jesus will come and save us from our sickness? From disease? Would you like for it to say that Jesus will come and he'll, he'll rescue us from our loneliness? Would you hope that this passage would say that Jesus would come and he would save us and rescue us from mental and emotional disorders? Would you hope that that passage would say he will come and rescue us from the identity crisis I have in my heart and my mind of who I am? How would you want that to look? the best possible way it can finish the article. There are no kinder words than therefore. There's no words that have deeper impact to our lives in this world that than Jesus will come and save us from our sins. Let me give you two reasons why. One, just an illustration. Imagine if you are working on a ladder, you're hanging up Christmas decorations, and you fell off your ladder, and you kind of feel your, your leg pop, and you're like, oh my goodness, I probably broke my leg, and there's excruciating pain that you feel in your leg, and so you go to the emergency room, and you come into the emergency room, and you're, you're laying out the details of, of kind of what happened to the doctor, and the doctor's listening to your symptoms. Okay, you heard a little pop, you've got some pain there, and you hear the doctor say to the nurse, He's fine, she's fine, there's no big deal. Just give them some high dose of pain meds and, and go ahead and send them on their way. You'd be like, whoa, whoa wait a second, like, should we have like a, a scan on my leg to like see? No, 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 you, we're looking at the symptoms and your symptoms are you just have pain. We can get rid of your pain. We'll just numb your pain through these, um, th these pills that we're going to give you, a high dose of ibuprofen can kind of help you with that. Then you look at that doctor and you're like, you're crazy, like you're a terrible doctor, right? To, to not get down to the root of the issue is a problem. 
any doctor that would just look at the symptoms and treat the symptoms without trying to figure out what the root issue is would not be a good doctor. And the same would be true of our God. If he looked at our world and he treated all of our symptoms of loneliness and sickness, and yet he did not get down to the heart of issue, the the foundation that has caused all these different issues in our world. He didn't come down to fix the sin in in our hearts and in this world. Then he would be a terrible, great doctor. Terrible, great doctor. You see, the Bible teaches that sin is the basic cause, if not the immediate cause, of all the brokenness that we see in the world, externally and internally. So when it says in this passage that Jesus came to save us from our sins, this is what it means, okay? And and, and the depths and the levels of Scripture that we read, what this means is when Jesus came to save us from our sins, he he came to save us from all the physical effects of sin. All of the death and sickness and decay, he will save us from it. That's why he rose from the grave to give us hope to know that he could defeat this area that sin has broken in our lives. All the psychological effects of sin, uh, mental and emotional disorders, depression and narcissism and eating disorders, all these things. He came to free us from these chains of sin that have broken these things in our lives. Jesus came to rescue and save us from all the uh, relational effects from sin. Some of us have deep conflict in our family because of sin. Either a sin that somebody else has committed against you or one that you have done. And and, and Christ came to repair those relationships. And even at a greater level, he came to repair the relationship we have that's been broken between us and God. This is what he's doing as he comes to save us from our sin. All the national and ethical strife, the political strife that we have, Jesus came to rescue us from this. That there would be a prince of peace. And that there would be a no end to his government. This is the one who we praise and we sing to and we worship. This is the one that's freeing us from our sins. And then the deeper root, the primary issue, he came to free us from the spiritual consequences from our sin. The curse of our sin. This is what Christ came to do. You see, we might struggle with death and health and loneliness and conflict. But the root of all of these is the sin and the separation between us and God. We need that relationship to be fixed and repaired. And this is what Christ has come to do. This is what he's come to do. That's why it tells us in verse 23 that his name will be Emmanuel. You see, all the brokenness that we feel in this world is because we're, we're broken and we're separated from the God who brings all goodness to us. The one who made this world not just good but very good and our sin has broken and marred it. When Jesus came at Christmas, he came to build that bridge and to make a way where there was no way. He came to show us that we could come before God and be in his presence again. So church, may we not fear. It is Jesus who gives us relationship to help us overcome our sin. That's what it means when it says he is called Emmanuel. God desperately needed that relationship. We needed that relationship. In fact, all of the world needed that relationship with God. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he came, because he knew there was no way for us to make it to him. So he came for us. And our hearts and our society and our culture is a lonely culture. It's a heartbroken culture. 
one American journalist, Hunter Thompson, said it like this. He said, we're all alone. We're born alone. We die alone. And in spite of all the true romance magazines and novels, we shall all one day look back on our lives and see that in spite of company, we were alone the whole time. That is a sad, sad world. Many of us feel that way. What we need to understand at Christmas is that Christ came in order to give us the relationship that we so desperately need. One that can never be broken where he promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the midst of your fears, in the midst of your guilt, I will be there. You see, what this author, Hunter Thompson, says, many of us feel in Christ at Christmas came to break the chains of our loneliness and broken relationships, that we could have a relationship with God again. This is what it means with Emmanuel. Now, we might read this this morning, and maybe you even ask the question, <laughs> wait a second, Ryan, I thought in verse 21 it says that his name should be called Jesus, but then in verse 23, it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. What, what is going on with that? Like, is it like Jesus is saying, hey, um, you can call me Jesus, my friends call me Emmanuel, but it's okay if you call me Lord. Like, is that what he's doing in that moment? No, what this passage is showing us here is the name Jesus is what he does for you. He saves he rescues. The, the, the name Emmanuel is who God is. He is with us. So Jesus, he saves. But yes, it's God coming to dwell with us, to live with us. This is a big deal. The one who swung all the galaxies into existence. The one who spoke a word and it all happened. This is the one who took on flesh and became a baby whose blood would be spilled to save us from one of the most beautiful things about Emmanuel, God with us, is it shows God's deep compassion, his deep love. God didn't try to contract out the work of salvation to a prophet or to a man or to your good works. He didn't do that. Instead, he knew that there was no way for us to be saved unless he came to save us. And so Jesus comes, God with us, to save us because there is no other way that we can be saved. Some of us are sitting here today and saying, he saves us, he redeems us, he rescues us. Like, I don't feel like I'm that bad of a person. Like, I, I keep the Ten Commandments pretty well. You know, I'm not a thief, I'm not a pornographer. Like, I'm not doing all those things, so I'm a pretty good person. Like, my relationship with God's probably pretty good because I'm a pretty decent person. Our morals and our decency, according to the scriptures, cannot make a right relationship with God can't do it. You cannot be good enough to be in the presence of God apart from Jesus, Emmanuel, coming and bridging the gap. You can't do it. If, there, if you could make your way to God through your decency and your morale, <laughs> then why did Jesus come? Why did he come? Jesus knew there was no other way that he had to be Emmanuel, God with us, because there was no other way that we were going to get back to God apart from him. 
So much so that the day before he would go to the cross and die for our sins, he's praying to God the Father and he says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for this cup of judgment to pass from me, then let it be. And what he's asking in that moment is the same question that you and I are always asking. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another way for us to be saved, right? Like if I'm good enough, then, then, then I'm saved. If I do the right things to, to, you know, equal out the good and the bad in my life, then, then, I'll, then I'll be in the presence of God. Jesus praying, God, let there please be another way. But there is no other way. There's no other way. That's why he came. And if you're thinking, I'm a decent person, I don't need rescue, I don't need hope, then you don't truly understand the cup of sin. You don't truly understand the gospel. See, the reason why we celebrate and we sing to the, to the king is because we know that unless he came for us, unless he was Emmanuel, God with us, there was no hope for our salvation. There was no way that we could be saved. And so you look at Christmas and you remember Jesus saved. He offered salvation to all who would believe. Because he is God with us. He has made a way for us to be saved. So as we close, let me ask you two questions. First, have you been rescued? Or are you living in fear? Have you been rescued by Jesus, or are you living in your fears? If you can honestly answer that question and say, I haven't been rescued, then hear me say thank you for being here. Thank you for being here today. We are glad that you've taken the time to come and to hear God's word. But also hear me say, please process what we're doing today. Don't pack up this good news of Jesus Emmanuel, like you pack up your Christmas decorations at the end of the year. Too often, urgency becomes the greatest enemy of what's most important. For many of us, the urgency of what we have to do next, we've got to get with family, we've got to have lunch, we've got to go to here, we've got to go to there. We're not processing the most important thing in our lives. We're not, in, we're not processing Jesus cares. Emmanuel, God with us. So please hear me, please, if you have not been rescued by Christ, if your life has not been changed, then will you take a step of faith today and receive the offer, the gift of salvation that Jesus would give you if you would confess your sins to him and you would turn from them. He came to save. He wants to save. But you need to hear that today. And that decision will change your life, not for this Christmas, but for all eternity. Second question I ask is, if you have believed in Christ, is Jesus' mission become your mission? Has Jesus' mission for his life become your mission? You see, what's beautiful about the Gospel of Matthew is it starts right here telling us what mission Jesus has. He has come to save people from their sins, right? There's no other way to say it. He's Emmanuel, God with us. It starts with God with us in Matthew chapter 1. And if you flip your Bible and you look all the way at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, it ends with God with us. I love it. Except in Matthew 28, he gives a challenge to his followers, to those who believe in him. And this is what he says in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. He tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations 
baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. Emmanuel, God with us. Why? So that we can look to Jesus and be saved. So church family, be encouraged as we look at Christmas and remember God is with us. But be encouraged as we look at the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended, that he is with us. Why? So that we could share this good news that Jesus saved us by the same that we love him. we would look to you and believe you have made a way when we thought there was no way you've provided a way to the one lord that you have been stirring in our heart to be obedient to you i ask that you would help them today help them to take that step of faith that they've been fighting against that they've been bearing that tension in their heart against because they've been afraid of losing something help them to see that truth is that you will bring them through some of the greatest things that they're afraid to lose is greater treasures than in this world. So if that's you today, would you cry out to God and ask for him to rescue you? His name alone tells you he wants to. Jesus is in it. He wants to save you. Would you make that prayer? Father, I also ask those of us who love you, who have been saved and rescued by you, that we would remember this truth that you are with us always. Even when our, our fears well up and our hearts begin, that we would remember that you came to exchange this for us. You came to give us hope and peace, and you are eternal comfort. You are God with us. Lord, help us to see how you want us to live on mission for you. For your mission that you've, you've given to us, that we would be faithful to share this good news. Desperately simple and yet desperately necessary. In Jesus' name. Father, I ask that this Christmas would be a Christmas of worship rather than of mourning. Knowing that you have given us the hope, you have saved us, and you've given us hope to be with you always. Church, would you stand now and let's sing in a time of worship and praise to the one who saves.